Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. It's been an exciting weekend uh, to join many pastors, many church leaders from around the nation on a story that God's been writing perhaps longer than 20 years here in New Zealand, but as a Wesleyan Methodist Church to have a representation of 20 years of ministry right here um, has been an incredible experience. And to, to reminisce that back in 2002 was when my heart first crossed the idea of coming here for ministry, to be a pastor, to serve and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. In a place unknown to me, a place I had never been, a place that I would journey to and spend many years from there on out praying over, leading, um, inspiring, and working alongside many wonderful human beings uh, for the kingdom of God. And as we gathered uh, down in Christchurch, so 4.30 this morning found me waking up to my alarm in Christchurch to prepare to come back here to stand in the pulpit. Uh, to just give updates and, and to share what God has done. But we celebrated last night with uh, one of my favorite things of the year is our ordination services. When we recognize many pastors that have done due diligence and educational preparation, um, they've, they've sensed the call, they've been affirmed in the call, um, and, and they've been serving their local churches in Gispen and Auckland uh, and Palmerston North were three pastors that we ordained last night. And such a wonderful celebration um, of what God is doing around our country. 20 years, and we've seen 33 churches established. That's amazing. 66 pastors, I believe, 69 after the ordination service last night. God's doing something incredibly amazing. And right here with us, here at East City Wesleyan Church. And it was quite special. Uh, Pastor Richard is away this morning. Um, little Atlas is getting dedicated at the well. Um, uh, Alex and Teresa uh, are dedicating Atlas before the Lord. And uh, Richard and Jane and family um, are all down in Christchurch for the week to celebrate that and just um, give thanks. But um, over the conference weekend, you would, many of you have followed Pastor Richard's journey. And I would go out on a limb to state boldly and very honestly and truthfully that part of God's movement in and through the nation is in part and wouldn't have happened without two individuals. One of those would be Reverend Edgar Hornblow, which many of you know, and the other is our very own pastor, Reverend Dr. Richard Waugh. I think the catalyst that God used to mobilize ministry across this nation in a very powerful and dynamic way. And that was unanimously affirmed as Pastor Richard retired from his role as national superintendent after 20 diligent years of service in which he led our national church movement well, um, was unanimously affirmed as national superintendent emeritus. I can't even say that word. Emeritus. There you go. That's it. Not a term I'm too familiar with, but one that is not extended often and not extended lightly. Um, and to have that unanimously voted on by the conference is uh, just such an honor and a privilege 
um, to see him recognized for the many hours of service and work that he's given the church, but also a thank you to you, the congregation that has released him to do that work over these 20 years. Of We could have selfishly been, no, Pastor Richard, we want you here at ECW all the time. Give us all your time. We need you here. But to have the big picture in mind of what God was doing uh, right here was just a beautiful thing. Um, we also welcomed our third national superintendent into office, uh, Reverend Brett Jones, from Session Community that planted out of ECW um, as he was unanimously affirmed as the next national superintendent of the Wesleyan Methodist Church of New Zealand. So a lot of really neat things that happened over the course of the weekend. You'll hear more about it next week as um, Reverend Joey and Reverend Lauren and Reverend uh, Richard are back uh, with us to just share updates, but also um, Josh Couch and Caleb Taylor that went as our lay delegates from ECW uh, to represent us, to give a voice to vote uh, at the national conference elections um, and to be a part. So it was a good time. I don't drink coffee, so I've had a V this morning. And um, it's been an early day, but uh, a good day. And I want to open up this morning's message with a story that perhaps I've shared with you before, but I think it's quite appropriate as we've been in the story throughout all of 2020, reading Genesis to Revelation, and we're coming to the end as we approach, can you believe it, Advent. Have you noticed the Christmas decorations going up? I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm going to start playing Christmas carols, and Caleb hates Christmas carols, so he's going, to, he's going to be in pain and misery over this Christmas holiday season. But I absolutely love Christmas. It feels a lot different here than it does back home in, uh, in the States, but I absolutely love everything about it. So there's a story, three nuns that made it to heaven. That's the topic of today. I'm going to talk about heaven as we look at the book of Revelations. These three nuns went together to the pearly gates, and they met St. Peter there. And St. Peter was welcoming them, but before they could pass, they were astonished to find out that there was a little quiz that they were going to have to pass. They thought, whoa, we've dedicated our whole lives. We've been very, uh, very diligent in our spiritual disciplines, our growth, understanding God's word. I think we're ready. So St. Peter said, no need to fret, ladies. It's a very easy quiz. First one steps up. Said, in creation, what was the name of the first woman? Said, oh, well, that's easy. That's Eve. You may enter the gates. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The second nun steps up, a little bit nervous, but a little bit relieved that the questions weren't too hard. Think about a quiz to go to heaven. Would you be terrified? If all of eternity hung in balance of this one question. Said in creation, there was a location. And we know it as the Garden of Eden. You may enter the gates. Now the third was the Holy Mother, the one that was in charge of the convent. And as she approached, St. Peter said, it's going to get a little trickier for you because we have high expectations. She said, oh dear Lord. And she prepared to answer the question. She received the question, and it was this. God, our Heavenly Father, has been known throughout all of Scripture, throughout the church, with multiple names. 
Can you give me another name for God? Here's a hint. He is the Alpha and the... And she sat there and she pondered. She didn't want to get it wrong. She didn't want to feel embarrassed. And she said, I got it. St. Peter asked, okay, and your response? It's Andy. He said, I'm sorry? Andy. Um, no, I'm sorry. Where would you get the name Andy? He said, oh, we love our hymn sings in the convent, and it's a, a dear hymn that we sing all the time. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. It goes like this. Andy walks with me, Andy talks with me. Andy calls me one of his own. My soccer coach, Zarko Nima, immigrated to the States from Kenya back in the 70s. And he would often say, he was a Christian man, and he would often say to the team, and I don't know what got him on this rant or this role, but he said, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. So let me give you some facts of life this morning. We all die. That's a fact of life. None of us are exempt from it, and none of us will ever escape it. We're all terminal at some sense of understanding. And I'd like to give you this morning two more things about death. Our days are numbered. Death is not a matter of if, but rather when. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says, None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. So I can tell you this. Our days are numbered, and they're less today than what they were yesterday. They're less today than they were yesterday. It's a sobering thought. How many of you in life have already experienced that life is a quick trip? It's a quick trip, folks. Our days are also non-negotiable. Some things are negotiable in life. Do you like bartering? Do you like looking for the good deal? Do you like deciding where you're going to live or where you're going to work or what you're going to have for dinner? Folks, death is a non-negotiable. Our departure flight won't be delayed, and I'm thankful this morning that mine wasn't either. As certain as our birth certificate was, so will be that as a certificate of the date of our death. Heaven is for real, folks. And you want some good news? This isn't it. This isn't it. So here's the good news. The grave doesn't mark the end of our being. The Bible says our mortality will be swallowed up by immortality. Romans 13 verses 11 through 14 says, This is all more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. 
Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when, we were, than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and getting drunk or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So there's two things that I'd like to pull from this passage this morning. Time is of the essence. Have you ever said that in life? Have you ever sensed that? Have you ever understood that? Time is of the essence, and we have to live with a sense of urgency. How many times have we read or heard about a person who got to the end of their life and wonders, what happened? Unfulfilled dreams, lost opportunities, regret, or remorse. Romans 13, 11, the hour has already come. For you to wake up. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The most dangerous word in the English language. I propose is the word someday. And many of us suffer with this someday syndrome. Someday. I'll make things right in that broken relationship. Someday, I'll have more time for the kids. Someday, we'll take that holiday together. Someday, I'll talk to my friend about Jesus. Someday, I'll go back to school. Someday, someday, someday. You fill in the blank. What's your someday? The problem with someday is it robs us of this day, right now. Psalm 118.24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know there's a website called Procrastination? If you type in the web address, you'll find a flashing sign that reads, coming soon. John Ortberg, I don't know if that's real. John Ortberg tells a story that he read in the Los Angeles newspaper. It's about a guy who returned to his hometown, his home place, the place in which he was born and raised after being away for 20 years. This would kind of be like me. Just turned 40, go back to Marion, Indiana. He goes up to the attic and believe it or not, he finds his letterman jacket. So in the States, this is a jacket that you would get for being in varsity sports. So school sports is a thing in the States. Clubs are secondary. But if you make the lead team, the first string team, once you do that four times in your high school career, you get what you've seen in the movies of the leather jacket with the big letter. Mine had an M on it for Marion High School. And you'd put your medals and your badges and your honors on this coat. And it was kind of like wearing your trophy room with you, if you will. 
So he went up to the attic and he found his letterman jacket. He put it on and he puts his hand, I don't think mine would fit today. He put it on and he puts his hand in the pocket to find a receipt for a pair of shoes that he had taken to be repaired 20 years ago. So on a whim, he goes to the shoe shop and it's, believe it or not, it's still there. It still exists. The same guy is working at the counter. He hands the man his receipt. The man goes into the back room, returns and says, they'll be ready for you on Friday. It's kind of like the kamikaze pilot that flew 13 missions. Catch up with me here. Some of you are still trying to figure it out. Living with a sense of urgency doesn't mean living faster and busier lives. There's a big difference between urgency and emergency. Life was never to be an A&E. It was never to be a, a, a quick fix. To live with a sense of urgency means to live with an awareness that you aren't promised that someday. It means you've embraced the fact that the clock is ticking and it's a non-negotiable. It's a reality that none of us is going to miss. So we have a few challenges, a few challenges in this reality. And the first one, and this is something that uh, one of my best friends that passed away at 35, he had always wanted a tattoo, and I don't know your theology and your beliefs about tattoos and what have you, but he got a tattoo, carpe diem, across his back, seize the day, seize the day as he battled pancreatic cancer. And he wanted to be reminded to just make the most out of life. Seize the day. This day. Today. Did you seize yesterday? Or did it quick, as quickly as it come, you let it go? Don't pass it off and don't pass over it. Live it. Love it. Own it. Because honestly, it might be all you get. So time is of the essence. And not only living with a sense of urgency, we have to live with a sense of priority. If you knew you had only a month to live, would your priorities change? Wow. Romans 13, 12. So don't live in darkness. Get rid of your evil deeds. Shed them like dirty clothes. Close yourself with the armor of right living as those who live in the light. Note the concept of taking something off and putting something on. You see, if we're serious about living with no regret and loving with no remorse, then we'll have to take off wrong living and put on the right stuff. So two things that we have to take off. And folks, I think this one will preach to the masses 
take off your hurried pace. Carl Jung wrote, hurry is not of the devil. It is the devil. John 10.10, I have come that they might have life and life to its fullness. Look at the first half of this verse. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. And that's exactly what hurry is. It's a thief. You see, if you and I rush around to accomplish life, we'll end up robbing ourselves of the abundant life. Hurry is about counting minutes. It's never about embracing moments as they happen. The need for speed is killing us from the inside out. So what blows my mind is that culture and society sets up a badge of honor for busyness. Have you ever noticed how we small talk with each other? Where have you been? Oh, I've been busy. In other words, you're too busy to spend time with me. You're too busy to notice the people that need you present in their lives. Hurry is an enemy to intimacy. And people are getting left behind day in and day out because the world is simply too busy. I've got to believe that if you and I only had a few days left, we wouldn't speed up the dial. We'd slow it down a little bit. We'd mellow out. And we'd take a moment to simply be. And enjoy those special moments. We would put off those things that clutter and slow down for those things that we can savor. We'd relish every moment and never pass over one minute. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. A hurried spirit is kind of an oxymoron, if you will. You can never follow Jesus at a sprint. I think that still, small voice also tends to move at a slow pace because it's focused on a big picture of the things that really matter. Another thing that we have to take off is our hopeless pursuits. Our hopeless pursuits. Now, I'm a little entrepreneurial in spirit. Have any of you guys had any failed ideas? Oh, man, have I ever. Thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. And Becca's just like, sure, honey. And she goes along and she supports. And then what? Epic failure, moving on to the next thing. Am I the only one here this morning? <laughs> Hopeless pursuits. Ecclesiastes 2.11 says, As I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish... It was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Boy, that's uplifting, isn't it? 
On your balance sheet in living, what do you give the most time to? People or possessions? Let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. What do we give the most time to? People or possessions? The sad truth is that some of us have reduced communication in our marriage to simply managing the tasks and the schedules in life. Who does the school runs? What time is dinner? Who's taking the kids to uh, jujitsu or soccer practice or what have you? Who's going to the play? Who's doing the grocery shopping? Who's getting the dry cleaning? Who's filling up petrol in the car? And we're just managing all these tasks time and time again. Contrary to popular opinion, stuff doesn't pay. The good life, folks, is found in the people sitting around you. Your neighbors, your friends, your family, your home group, your church, the people you serve alongside of. So look at the life of Jesus. He was a master of putting on the right stuff in his life. He spent large blocks of time with his father and vast amounts of time investing in people. He noticed an unnoticed tax collector named Matthew. He noticed a ruthless hustler named Zacchaeus. He touched a blind man named Bartimaeus. He sought out a diseased and desperate woman looking for hope. And he gave her hope. He saw and embraced children that were often overlooked and sometimes ignored. And while dying, he even took time to lead one more to his kingdom. Pretty special. So here's another challenge for us. As we look at the life of Jesus, let's live our lives God's way. Isn't that the best way to do it? Isn't that the best way to experience today? Clothe yourself with his love and his lifestyle. And we have the picture-perfect example found in Jesus Christ. So if you're going to dress for success, let God do the tailoring. Let him shape and mold your life. To honor the kingdom of God. So why would I say all of this? I'm supposed to be laying down the exegetical theological references to heaven. What point is it knowing heaven if we don't understand the life that God's given us right now? Because this life is what puts eternity into perspective. Understanding who Jesus is makes eternal life possible. So there's no point in understanding or dreaming about heaven if we're just thinking someday I'll get it all sorted. That someday has to be today. I truly believe that there is a heaven and this is not it. Praise God. Thank you Jesus. Did you know there's two things that we cannot do 
once we get to heaven. We think about the singing, we think about the dancing, we think about seeing our Savior face to face, we think about the streets of gold, we think about the, how truly amazing heaven is, but there's two things that we can't do there. Do you know what it is? We cannot sin victory. That's a victory. And we can't reach lost people. We cannot sin and we cannot reach lost people. Put that into perspective and reality. The book of Revelation is one that can be utterly confusing. It can be exciting, enticing, and fun to study. A true confession from your pastor I can't read the book of Revelation like I can other books of Scripture. To say, Spirit, speak truth and wisdom into my life as I read chapter by chapter, verse by verse. When I read the book of Revelation, in which I oftentimes don't understand, I have to go to other sources to unpack the exegetical research, to dig into the commentaries and the language to understand the book. And I've done that. I've done due diligence. And I don't know what camp you might be in, but I often hear Christians that say, you know, especially, we've just gone through election season, right? The New Zealand elections, and now I think maybe finally the U.S. has figured it out and we've gotten through elections, maybe. Who knows? And so, so many times Christians just say, oh, Lord, will you just come back now? Lord, your second coming, let it be now so we don't have to deal with this. I don't want someday tomorrow. I want eternity now. Folks, I don't. Because that second principle of the things we can't do once we get to heaven, we can't reach lost people, and there's people I dearly love that don't know Jesus. I'm not ready for God to come back. I'm not ready to throw in the towel and say enough's enough. I want to share the good news that God has put in my life. The redemption of my sins. That I can be forgiven. That I may inherit eternal life. A dirtball scumbag of a guy that found Jesus when he was a teenager. And it changed my life, not just in a moment, but forever. And there's people I dearly love that I pray diligently and daily seeking the opportunity to share that same hope I found a long time ago that they might know what eternal life is all about. Amen? Amen? We have work to do, church. And if we don't tell the world around us, who will? It's time to stop waiting on the someday and make the someday today. Right now. The book of Revelation presents to us the triumphant Christ. We are assured that in the end, God wins. God wins. Victory over the grave 
conquering all evil and all sin, God wins. It appears that Rome rules the world as John the Apostle is in exile on the island of Patmos. But things are not what they seem in Revelation 1.8. So if you're taking notes, you might write down Revelation 1.8. You might want to go read that. The triumphant Christ stays with his church in Revelation 1.12-13. The book of Revelation is a book of sounds, images, and numbers. The lampstands are the churches. That's how Revelation works as you read the book. John is an artist with a palette of metaphors, and Revelation is more a book of imagination than that of an explanation. More of a symphony than a sermon. More theater than a classroom lecture of bullet points. The number seven is used 54 times in Revelation, being the number of completion. With Jesus, visiting seven of his churches means that he visits all of his churches. Revelation 2 through 3. The book of Revelation presents to us the very center of the universe. Revelation 4, verses 1 through 2. The center of the universe is heaven. And the center of heaven is a throne. And there is someone, our triumphant God, sitting on that throne. Application for you and I. Rome was not in control of the world. God was. The beehive in Wellington, not in control of the world. God is. The White House in Washington, D.C., not in control of the world. God is. That's oftentimes a good reminder for you and I. And this is a revelation of God's glory. The things we often get caught up in and wrapped up in and worked up about and stressed out about. It's all a revelation of God's glory. To understand who he is and who we belong to as followers of Christ. The center of the universe is full of the worship of God. Doesn't that sound amazing? Full of the worship of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 4, 6-11. through The Christ prevails and the church prevails against Satan and all adversaries, Revelation 5 through 9. God creates a new heaven and new earth for his redeemed people, Revelation 21, 1 through 6. The book of Revelation and the whole Bible present the truth that God will make all things right. God's people said... Amen. Genesis presents the creation of the heavens and the earth. Revelation presents the new heavens and earth. Genesis tells of the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Revelation tells that there is no need of the sun because God will be the light. Genesis tells of a paradise lost. And Revelation presents 
a paradise regained. Genesis tells us that Satan was in the first garden. Revelation tells us that Satan is banished forever from the new garden. He's gone. The new in the new heavens and earth and new Jerusalem means rejuvenated, not replaced. So an application for us. Revelation promises a new heavens and earth and a new Jerusalem. The question that remains is, will you be there? Will you enter into the home prepared for you? On that day, everything we will have ever experienced will certainly be worth it all. All the pain, all the struggle, all the victories, all the joys. It's going to be worth it, folks. When we hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The question only you can answer is will you be there? I want you to be. The story has been all about God wanting to spend eternity with you. Because He knows you. He loves you. He thinks you're one of the most beautiful things in all of His creation. He thinks you're remarkable. He thinks you're amazing. And I think some of you need to be reminded of that today. You're absolutely amazing. So the question is, do you want to be with God? Coming down to wrapping up the story. But the challenge for you and I, that we have to continue living it. Every day that the good Lord gives us breath, that we honor Him and glorify Him in all that we say and do. To that I say, amen. I'm going to invite the team to come back up. And as they do, we're going to be approaching a time of engaging prayer. And I don't want us to get hung up and waiting for someday. Because that someday to the rest of eternity could be right now today. So answer that question, will you be there?